turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Today, here on Abounding Grace, we return to the book of Romans. We're in chapter 12, focusing in on verses 17 through 21. Jesus overcomes evil with good. Join us for today's Abounding Grace. And again, from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, online at reformedheritage.org. We invite you to spend a few minutes with us as we pick up our journey in Romans. We're in chapter 12 today, as I mentioned a moment ago, looking at verses 17 through 21. We always struggle with the evil that is around us. We want retribution. We want revenge. We want it now. God says, make room for him. Let him take care of it all. Find peace in him and let him deal with the evil around you. And that's what we're looking at today. Here's Pastor Gary with today's Abounding Grace. Jesus overcame evil with good, part two. Why? Why is there so much division in the church today? Particularly between one believer and another. Two people for whom Christ has died. It simply comes down to pride. We try and make others feel badly for how we think they may have injured us. We pout and even try to avoid the other person as much as we possibly can. And we come with all kinds of excuses for this. I'm not being respected. That person knows I'm right. They're just stubborn and wrong-headed. My opinion is biblical after all. So if they're resisting me, they are resisting God. This is the nature of the unbeliever, not the believer. Everything is about him. He is self-focused. His opinion, his opinion is what is important. But as Christians... Christ set an example of how we are to live with one another. He was long-suffering, unselfish, forgiving, never returning evil for evil. He came into this creation to set up a kingdom of power, a kingdom of grace and mercy, a kingdom of renewal, to give us new life, to give us the power to do as he did, to lay down our lives and die to self not to hold grudges, and to think ourselves better than others. We read in Philippians 2, 3 through 11, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considers other better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. The greatest weapons we have for peace and rest are humility, lowliness of heart, and meekness. Why? Because we have given up the God delusion now. The idea that it is going to be all, it's going to be okay in this life because it will be on my terms and people will respect me and love me and bow before my opinions. But by God's grace, when we come to Jesus, we give up being loved and being respected as the gods of our soul. Here is a good principle, and I think perfectly biblical to work on good relationships with people you don't agree with. Every person you run into, where you have the occasion to talk about another person, say something good about them, and never say anything bad about them. If the other person starts saying something bad about him, give him a cold, hard stare and say, listen, I do love you. But unless you are going to say that back to, the, to that person's face, do not say it to me. Don't ever say it to me. We should never speak evil of one for whom Christ has died. If you do know of something that is bad in an individual and true, it should die with us. When we should go to them personally. And we should pray for the issue and for them that the Lord would work peace in them. And that is where he says, as far as it lies in you, verse 18. It's not full peace. We would like everyone to be at peace, but that's not always going to happen in this life. Because peace is a process of sanctification. And each one of God's people, he gradually molds us into the image of a son. And of course, peace requires our patience with those who are in the world. Sometimes peace, if you would turn back to 2 Samuel 16, 11, requires another side to it. And that is we receive rebukes very meekly even undeserved ones when we know they are undeserved. When someone comes, someone criticizes us for something, no, I didn't do it, my children never do that, my wife, my husband, my best friend would never do that. Really? Well, here's David. Here's how David saw it differently. Second Samuel 16. This evil man who eventually dies, Shammai, comes and he curses David. Verse 7, he says, Come out, come out, you bloody man, you man of Belial. 
the Lord hath returned upon thee the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead you have reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, you are taken in your mischief, because you are a bloody man. Basically, Shammai goes out of, comes out of the woods here after he throws dust and rocks at David. And he says, Absalom has taken over because you are a wicked, bloodthirsty man, David. And then Abishai, one of David's right-hand men, says, Lord, let me go cut off this dog's head. And David says in verse 10, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai, to all of his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth out of my body, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. Beloved, peace requires that we trust God's promise that evil, that men's evil, is ordained by him for our good. Like Joseph in dealing with his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. Jacob's dead. And Joseph's brothers think, okay, it's probably going to be payback time. If you were Joseph, what would you have done? I mean, think about this. What would you have done? Joseph basically ruled the kingdom. He could have called out the Gestapo. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, and suddenly his 11 brothers would just disappear that night, and no one would ever hear from them again. So Joseph's brothers come to him. That is Reuben and Judah and Levi and Issachar, and they ask Joseph, What are you going to do? He answers, What do you mean, what am I going to do? You may have meant it all for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm not going to do anything but continue to do what I've been doing all these years, and that is love you and provide for your families. What? There's no family feud here? You know, we need to remember something about the wicked and their treatment of us. Turn to Psalm 17:13, a verse that is very good to cool vengeance and a vengeful spirit. Psalm seventeen, thirteen. <clears throat> Arise, O Lord, disappoint him and cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked which is thy sword. So when the church is mistreated by wicked men, or individual believers are persecuted by wicked men, we need to remember those wicked men are God's sword to chasten and to rebuke and to discipline us. Now granted, their undeserved curses will be like so many flaming swords in which God will one day put his wrath upon them. But we need to be very careful about resisting because in doing so we may be resisting God's hand with impatience and vengeance which is unbelieving 
So to make peace, we need to go to our brothers, as the Proverbs say, and humble ourselves, not defending ourselves, not telling him why he was wrong, not turning the tables so that we don't become the offended, and finally conclude, well, if I have done this, will you please forgive me? Anytime you put an if with an apology, It is not an apology. It is justification. So no ifs. Turn to James chapter 3 verse 2. Don't say if when it comes time to ask for forgiveness. He says, For in many things we offended all. Memorize it. For in many things we, me, I, You offended all in many things, far more than we know. And here's a little secret about each one of us that is a little bit uncomfortable. But other people, other brothers and sisters can see things about us that we can't see. Our children and our spouses who also have the Holy Spirit see things about us that we cannot see. We Put them in a box. Don't talk to me about that. How dare you? Now granted sometimes, they can come to us in a very ugly way, and they have no right to do that. But if we're going to have peace, we've got to live meekly before God and before one another. So listen to the rebuke. Consider it carefully. And if it is true in God's strength, change whatever it may be. But do not lash out and try to strike back. Some of the things I have learned in this life that that have been most important have come from people who have said them very poorly and very ugly to me. And I've remembered what David said to Abishai. Let him curse. God has told him to. If this person has said this, then there is something here God wants me to hear. Because it is no mistake. David knew, I am being cursed. I am falling into the hand of God and I am learning and I am being disciplined. Well, back to Romans 12. He says in verses 19 and 20, no vengeance, which is interesting, coming right on the heels of peace because there is a connection here. One of the reasons peace is challenging is because of my sense of having been offended, my sense of justice. We see it in children, don't we? You know, that's mine. Okay, so it's yours. But that doesn't mean you can't share. We all have heightened sense of that's not right. That's not fair. That's my cookie. I need to get the credit for this. I'm the one who did more of the housework. I'm the one who wins the bread and brings it home. Where's the gratitude to me? That makes peace difficult, doesn't it? Let's say someone has offended you. 
and they come to you and they want to make things right, or, or maybe they don't want to make, come and make it right. And if they do come, maybe they refuse to make the real relational restitution that we think they should, because we want them to grovel. Come on, you've hurt me. This is especially a difficult situation when we're dealing with unbelievers or maybe those who are wayward. And we're confident that we have God on our side and truth on our side and the desire to be vindicated. I want to be justified is, is so strong. But Paul says here so bluntly, he says in verse 19, avenge not yourselves. You could translate this in a variety of ways. That would include don't defend yourself, don't justify yourself, don't become your own executioner. If someone has hurt you in some way, just don't retaliate. Why? Because you are stealing God's honor if you do. He says there in verse 19, give place unto wrath let it exhaust itself. Let the evildoers be ashamed and go off in a corner and lick their wounds. So let God deal with them by us being meek like our Savior was when he was crucified. He says, give peace, place to it. Because God says, it is mine, I will repay. If there is something that needs to be put right, he says, I will do it. Not you. You're not the judge. Parents, you are not a judge. Husbands, you are not your wife's judge. Wife, you are not your husband's judge. Parents, you're not even your children's judge in the absolute sense. And we are not the judge of one another. There is one judge, one lawgiver, and one king. We are all brothers. So our responsibility is to humble ourselves before one another. And if we have been truly wronged, whether it be by a brother or sister in the church or someone in our family or an enemy of the gospel, we are not to avenge ourselves. This is God's office. And he says, I will do it. Think of the Lord Jesus. That night when he was on trial at Herod's with Ananias and Caiaphas and all those hoodlums who masquerade as the priestly family. And Jesus knew that he was on trial, though his real court that he was standing before was the court of heaven. And I is being condemned there as the malefactor before my father, the shepherd for the sheep, the holy one for the unholy. But catch this, please. Even while he was being condemned before that court, he trusted that court. As 1 Peter 2.23 says, when he was reviled, he did not revile again, but committed himself, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So on the one hand, he completely gave himself into the hands of his father to become his judge. For him to become the scapegoat and to bear our curse. But on the other hand, he knows that with respect to all the wicked men who persecuted and tormented and crucified, his father would take care of them. And he completely yielded himself to his father on both fronts. And that is to be our motto.
you know, on the one hand, when we are persecuted or tormented or people say bad things about us in the workplace because of our faith or snicker at us, we are not to answer in like kind. We humbly take it. We rejoice that we are given a small opportunity to have a little bit of shame for the cause of Christ. We also know that we all need to be humbled. God means for me to change in persecution. God means for me to be disciplined for the church when the church goes through persecution. And you and I know we need it. So we need to be real careful, for example... When we pray for our persecuted brethren, it's not just, Lord, and this is fine, kill those vile tormentors and let your people go free. It may be that the church needs this, that families may need this. We don't know how. We are not the judges. So God is bringing good through the wicked. Always, beloved. So we need to make sure we submit to his hand. And all the while we trust God will deal with his enemies in his own time and in his own way without us having a vengeful spirit. The Corinthians had a vengeful spirit. Do you remember what they were doing? Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It was horrible. Verse 1 of chapter 6. They were going to the law against each other before unbelievers. They were suing one another. We don't know all the reasons why, but notice what Paul tells them here. Let this sink in, child of God, and be free in Christ from the chains of feeling like I have to defend myself. Verse 6 of chapter 6. But brother goes before the law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Verse 7. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to the law with one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? What are you kidding me? That's not American. What about me? What about my rights? What about my feelings? Paul says, let them go. Just be wronged. Just be defrauded. Why? Because more important than being right, more important than being seen as the one who is right, is the bond of love that must exist between the children of God. And that bond must not be ruptured by our taking vengeance upon ourselves or taking vengeance upon the wicked. Because again, the Lord claims for himself the sole right to vindicate his children. And you can be sure, beloved, that he will. Now that shouldn't make us smug or conniving. Boy, they're going to get it. I just can't wait. God is going to get the wicked. Well, I'm not sure God is going to honor that kind of spirit. Notice what he adds here as we come to the end of chapter 12, verse 20. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him to drink. Now, can you imagine this? 
Let's say someone just curses you out at work. Some of you have gone through some difficult things of work because of your faith, because of things you wouldn't do or things you would do. Some of you have gone through things in your extended family, even with those who may profess to be Christians. Can you imagine after they just finished laying into you and blasting you, you say, Hey, would you like to come over to my home for dinner tonight? I'd really like to make you a meal. Are you kidding? Or, hey, I'd like to go and buy you a cup of coffee. Could we go and... What? I've just been cursing you out. I've just been ugly to you and you want to make me a meal? You want to take me for a cup of coffee? Come on, we're of a different spirit. Yes. And it is a glorious spirit. But I'm afraid it is one that has gotten lost in the blindness of Americanism and in the arrogance of just our own heart. He says, for in doing so, though, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. That phrase has been taken in a variety of ways. But I think the best option is the idea that it quenches the fire that is within him. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Mm